It's 2021, and it feels like 2020 came along with us. What do we do about that? What do we do about that as people of faith? That's what we're talking about this month on the podcast. Today, we're talking vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And today, as we said in the intro, we are talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. So if you're looking for info on the shingles vaccine, I'm sorry, you're on the wrong podcast today. Uh, But we will talk about the COVID-19 vaccine and to help us with this. uh, And so you don't have to lean upon the medical knowledge of Pastor Melissa and myself. We have the director of... very limited. It it is. It it is. Um, You know, we in Google are just as bad as anybody else in Google. So you you don't want to listen to us. Um, But we have with us today the director of the Infectious Diseases Division at Cook's Children's Hospital, um, our epidemiologist in residence and our also resident saint for this COVID season, Dr. Susie Whitworth. We are incredibly thankful uh, for your presence with us here today. And and as we have this conversation today, we're going to try to hit on many of the questions that have been raised within our community and also within our community of faith uh, about the vaccine. As and, and we say vaccine singular when we know, at least right now, the FDA, FDA has two approved vaccines. And so um, we may get into what, if any, difference there is in there. But um, we want to do our best to, to find answers to the questions that are really wrestling within our community about this vaccine and its development, its efficacy, its safety, and what it means for us as we seek to move forward as, as people uh, and people of faith. And so, Susie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm happy to. As we get started, can you just kind of give us an overview? Uh, I know the official government name for for the vaccine development program was Warp Speed, and and it certainly lived into that, or at least it seems like it has. Um, Can you tell us how that happened? Because I know a lot of folks have had questions about how can it occur that quickly, and what does that mean for all the questions about safety, efficacy, et cetera, et cetera? I think we've had about a thousand (laughs) of these questions, and... um, so it's, it's normal to think anything called warp speed may be too good to be true or it kind of even sounds scary. And I think what you want to do is, what you want to know really is, is this safe? Were any of the corners cut? And so what I've kind of mm. tried to do with when I answer this question is talk through how a normal vaccine timeline goes and then how the warp speed timeline has gone. So... If you think through about vaccine development, you may never have done that in the past, but it takes about six years to develop a vaccine. From the time a scientist thinks, I need a vaccine to prevent meningitis, until that vaccine is a shot in an arm is about six years. And and there's not really any shortcutting that because every step along the way costs millions and millions of dollars. What happened with warp speed is that instead of doing step one, two, three, four, five, they did step one, two, three, four, five, all at the same time, um, at the same time instead of sequentially over years. And so, for example, when you think about the development, let's just say of the meningitis vaccine, Menactra, you spend about three to eight months figuring out that we're going to use a protein vaccine with these adjuvants. And the scientists develop the vaccine. 
and then they do a phase one trial of about 10 or 15 people to come up with the correct dose of the vaccine. And you have to have people that volunteer that want to do that with a brand new vaccine. So when they come up with a safe dose, you're, at, you're approaching eight months and you decide, okay, now we need to see if this vaccine is safe. And by the way, could we have 15 or 20,000 people volunteer to do that? Mm. And so you have, and, and really phase two may be smaller. It might be a thousand people, but you have to have volunteers to do a phase two trial for safety. That takes up to two years. And you monitor okay. those people for safety um, after each, each one of them gets vaccinated. And then you want to do step three, which is the phase three trial. And that's more of the 15 or 20,000 people in a phase three trial. And that looks to see how well the vaccine is working. And again, you don't really have 15 or 20,000 people standing around saying, I'd like to go volunteer to get a vaccine and get a bunch <laughs> of blood drawn for the next right. few months. And, and I'm not going to be paid for that, for my time off work or for getting shots, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then after that, after that happens, you're, you're at the end of four and a half years now. You go to the FDA and you say, we've done all this work. What do you think? And the FDA really deliberates on that. And they may say, go back and do this. Or they may say, we need to look at this data from the middle of the third year, these three people. And that FDA process may send you back to do more stuff if you haven't done it correctly. And the FDA is extremely careful and extremely squeamish about letting anything out of their doors that's, that they don't think is completely safe. These are people that are like all of us. They all have husbands and wives. They have children. They have elderly parents. The FDA is composed of people like we are, except mm. they do this for a living. So after the FDA approves the shot, like the Minactra, then the company says, hot dog, now we get to sell it. And they spend about 18 months making it, manufacturing okay. it in the company. And then it's six more months of sending it to CVS and primary care doctors and all those things. And that just takes six years. Mm. When you look at Operation Warp Speed, at the time that the pandemic happened in January, some very wise scientists said the only way out of this, the handwriting is on the wall, is to vaccinate everyone. No pandemic has ever ended without a vaccine or years of time and millions of people that died. So the way to end this is a vaccine. That's it. You, ca you cannot buy enough time to end it otherwise. We will be doing exactly what we are doing if we all don't get immunized. Life is going to look exactly like this, except worse, for years into the future. So in Sweet January, Jesus. I know. So in January, yeah. some smart people got together and said, we have to have a vaccine. And the government, in a very wise way, said, we're going to pay for this. So messenger RNA technology was available. That's, they've been doing research on that for years for cancer vaccines. The machines existed. The labs existed. The scientists existed. All they had to do was come up with a little strip of RNA and put it in a little fatty lipid molecule. And that was able to easily and safely be done. Then they did the phase one trials and they said, okay, now we need 30 or 40,000 volunteers to get this vaccine. And instead of taking four years, that took about five minutes yeah. because people are scared and they want this to move forward. So the plan from the very beginning was we watch people for two months to see if this is safe and if it works. And you have to also say we have to watch the placebo group and the vaccine group mm. long enough to see that one group is doing better than the other. 
And so the plan was made in March that after we vaccinate our 30,000 people, we're, or 40, I can't remember, I think it's 42,000. After we vaccinate them, we are not going to unblind our data until we have over 100 cases of COVID in those 30 or 40,000 people. And so that number was decided in March. If the pandemic had slowed down, it would have taken a long time and maybe they wouldn't have been able to go to the FDA for six months. You just have to wait until 100 people get yeah. COVID. That happened mm. that fast because the pandemic was in terrible, raging increase. And so that was the other thing that happened quickly. Not No risk to safety. They just reached their predetermined endpoint quickly. And so, so because of spread within the community, yes. it cut the time frame down. The, yes. Because they got to that benchmark faster than they might have if spreading the community wasn't as bad. Right. right. And also the funding was there because this is not just, you know, spread like crazy in America, but throughout the whole world. So that the money, I imagine, also typically takes a good bit of time for scientists to get that into place. And that wasn't a question, I imagine, from the right. beginning. The government agreed to pay 10 or 15 companies uh, Moderna, AstraZeneca, all of these pharmaceutical companies were paid in advance to develop a vaccine that was safe and to go ahead, beginning in March, make 100 million doses of the vaccine. Every single one of them made 100 million doses of their vaccine. And so if the FDA says AstraZeneca or Merck or whatever, Pfizer or Moderna, if the FDA had said this vaccine is not safe, we will not put it on at market, the company is not out the money and they are legally obligated to destroy their 100 million doses. Mm. And that alone cut out 18 months of figuring out distribution. All That all went on, all that manufacturing went on during phase one, two, and three clinical trials at the same time, instead of waiting to see if the FDA approved it. So that was safely done. It was just done concurrently instead of sequentially. Yeah. And then during that 10 months that the vaccine is being developed, the Operation Warp Speed team worked out a way to send it to all the states and how to get it delivered, and everything was done all at the same time, knowing that whatever worked was going to be used and whatever didn't work was going to be trashed all at the same time. And so, for me, everything was done safely. Everything was done really well because there's just such a unified effort to make this go away. Yeah. Yeah, so what... What I hear you saying to like oversimplify it and forgive me um, is that it went through the same process as every other vaccine we've ever been Correct. given. Every shot I got, the four shots that little Harper, who's two and a half months old, got at her last doctor's visit. And we had to give her Tylenol for two days because she was her legs hurt and no. she was sad about it. Right. It went. Th it's been through all of the same stages and processes every as every single, one of those. Every just, single bit just instead of sequentially, it went through them simultaneously. Or I, I did not have any qualms about the speed at which this was developed. Zero. We want it done quickly for people's oh, sure. sakes. <laughs> Every month we delay how many people die. Yeah. Right. What is it, 50,000 people a month now or 70,000 people a month? Yeah. You know, it, there's, you have to, you have, you want it to be done quickly. Yeah. So speaking about like the vaccination and how quickly, like ideally we hope people take it. One of the questions that we received on Instagram was how long after mass vaccination until things get better? 
I think that to get enough shots in arms as a nation, it's going to take six months. And that's rough. You know, three, five, seven, something like that to get enough people vaccinated. Um, that what the next step is, once you get everyone vaccinated and you get close to your herd or your community immunity, the levels of disease in the community fall. The hospitalization rates fall. And then it isn't if you leave your house, you're guaranteed to get COVID, which it pretty much is right now. Once the level of disease in the community has dropped, then things are going to be able to feel more normal. But that, I, that it will not happen if we don't all get vaccinated. That I am 100% convinced of. We will be living like this until we get our shots. Get the shots. Yes. Yeah. On... On that fa on that front, um, one of the other questions we received was, how long do we anticipate the vaccine lasting? Right, each year, uh, many of us get a flu vaccine, right, and we've been told that if we've had COVID and recovered, we can expect at least three months or so of built-in immunity from the antibodies in that system. Do we know anything yet about the long-term efficacy of the vaccine? If it's going to be one that we ha have reoccurring or if it's a once and you're done kind of thing? Yeah. I don't think anyone has an answer to that question. And I have heard some of our nation's top scientists say that they think the vaccine will produce longer lasting immunity than the infection, that it may be better than the infection. But I don't, and I've heard some people posit two or three years maybe and, and so I don't think we know, and I'm not really sure that it matters if we know that yet. Mm. Because just like the chickenpox vaccine, chickenpox went away after we vaccinated all the infants. And then mm. several years later, we noticed a rise in chickenpox again in nine and 10 year olds and realized that we needed to do a booster and that came about. Now kids get a booster. And so my thought is that if we can shut off the community disease by getting everyone vaccinated, literally worldwide, I think that when disease starts to creep back up, we're going to get a timeline. And who okay. knows, Daniel? It could be an annual shot like a flu shot. It could be a one shot like Pneumovax. It could be one now and one five years later. We, we mm. just don't know yet. Okay. So I heard you mention um, messenger RNA, and I have been so fascinated by this science, something I never knew about, but in 2020, I wanted to read about it. I yeah. follow epidemiologists on Instagram. I enjoy their like explanations of it, but can you simplify and break that down for us if you're not the nerd that I am in this situation. I think that really you would say I am the nerd in this situation. <laughs> yeah, Melissa, um, it's it's true. high to to try to claim status on <laughs> on messenger RNA, uh, but that's okay. Uh, that's right. Here is what I would say: We all know that we have genetic material in us that codes our color of our eyes and how tall we are and our hair color and all kinds of things, and that is DNA. And DNA is the instruction for all of the things that our cells do. And one of the things that DNA does is it makes messenger RNA. Messenger RNA comes outside of the nucleus. And messenger RNA is the way we make proteins and other molecules in our cells. So you, all of us, make billions of molecules of messenger RNA all day long every day. So it in and of itself is not at all foreign 
to our cells. The messenger RNA that's in the vaccine is taken up by your muscle cells that are near the site of the vaccine injection. That messenger RNA goes into a cell and it codes that, it tells that cell, you need to make this spike protein. And so the cell makes the spike protein and it's spit out into the bloodstream and your bloodstream white blood cells go, hey, wait a minute, you don't belong here. This, is a, this protein is not part of the body and your body makes antibodies and B cells are activated and T cells are activated and you get this entire immune response to the spike protein. The messenger RNA that was injected into your arm and taken up by your muscle cells is a very fragile, short-lived molecule. It does its job and then it is gone. It never enters the DNA of your cell. It never integrates itself into your genetic material. It basically just disintegrates pretty quickly. That's one of the reasons why they have to either be on a deep freeze or it has to be refrigerated until 30 minutes before you give it. Because the problem is, if these things reach room temperature for any amount of time, they just degrade, they're gone. Mm. And so it's really a very fragile molecule. It does not integrate, it's not part of, it doesn't become part of your cell. One of the things that one of our nurses said that I loved was that the vaccine shows your immune system the wanted poster <laughs> okay. for the virus. Your immune yeah. system goes, okay, now I know what it looks like. I know right. what I'm going to do if I see it in the future. And I thought that was a pretty good. And I it's like even it. somebody said it even might be more like a Snapchat because it shows it to your body and then it's gone. <laughs> it's gone okay. after, you know, whatever, yeah. however many seconds a Snapchat is. That's but, right. But still worthwhile and still works well. So we have to be careful with all the information we're seeing on social media with, with anything we know, but especially, you know, we're seeing a lot of things on social media right now that are saying, this will change your DNA. This is, you know, new level mutation. And sadly, you know, we do see some people who, because it's the easy and it's the first thing that comes across your feed are reading and buying it. But we have to know that, if we dig deeper, if we talk to the experts like we're doing right now, we know that this is something that is helping our bodies identify what's happening. The Snapchat with the wanted yeah. poster. The Snapchat wanted poster is really what you're doing for your immune system. But I think you have to think about, do you have a global distrust in the people at the NIH and the CDC and the World Health Organization? And, and why? Why would you have a distrust in those people? These are career epidemiologists. They are here, they're career scientists. They're here to, they want to help people. You know, I'm not sure where all of the distrust comes in. You know, if you think back historically, the FDA took the rotavirus vaccine off of the market in the late 1990s because out of a million doses, eight more children got in a susception than in the placebo group. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a crazy, tiny blip of a signal that there might be a problem, and the FDA just said, you're done. Throw it away. We're Mm -hmm. not having it. And so the FDA doesn't mess around with this kind of stuff. These are people, they're like us. There's not a conspiracy out there. It doesn't get in your DNA. But I think the other thing we have to ask ourselves is, you know, what is the alternative Okay, you don't want to get a vaccine. Fine. What happens if you get COVID? 
which is worse? Which is riskier? The decision not to vaccinate is not a, is not innocuous. This decision not to do something carries its own risks, you know? Yeah. For, for you, and as we've discovered, I mean, one of the huge learnings for me over the course of this pandemic is uh, it, it's a reminder of just how interconnected we are. We like to hold ourselves up as wholly independent and whole human beings who can do our own thing, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we don't need anybody else. But yeah. the air we breathe is shared. Mm-hmm. I mean, something as fundamental as as that, right? That, you know, as I breathe in and breathe out in this room, somebody else, well, not right now because nobody's coming in this office but me for the next two days. But, um but it's a shared reality. We're interdependent. We're connected. Yeah. And our decision not only impacts us and our health, but it also impacts our family, our friends, our coworkers, our community. Um, and, and that's, you know, not just a medical side of this, but as people of faith, a, a profound ethical and, and moral place where we are called, I think, to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves um, in the midst of this. I always think, you know, when somebody dies or somebody's in the hospital sick, how many of us are at their house with a casserole or how many of us are sending flowers or texting or calling? It's it's putting a mask on is exactly Mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. That's a powerful image. It is. And so simple. It is. And, And, in that same vein, one of the questions that we received was after vaccination, right? After somebody's received both doses, um, does the vaccine, does it just prevent illness, right? Does it just prevent the onset of symptoms for us? Or does it prevent us through that wanted poster, through that flat, uh, Snapchat, Instagram story, whatever, you know, flash in a pan signal to our <laughs> immune system? Does it prevent us from actually contracting the virus and therefore potentially shedding it and sharing it? Or is it just a mechanism that prevents us from getting ill? So like for long-term future things, will things like masks and and physical distancing and that kind of thing continue to be a part of our life even in in the immediate season after um, we individually are vaccinated? When they did the trials for Pfizer and the the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, those are the ones I'm most familiar with. They did not look for that endpoint. And so that data is forthcoming, we don't know. And the question you're asking is, does the vaccine keep me from getting COVID disease and illness? The answer is yes, very, very well, not 100%, but pretty, pretty well. And then, and does the vaccine keep me from getting infected with the virus and having asymptomatic infection when I don't know it? And it is okay with me to have asymptomatic infection and I don't know it because I'm fine. I'm not going to be sick. I am okay. But, and that was a huge benefit from the vaccine. But the question is, could I, in an asymptomatic way, if I get infected, share with others the infection? who may not be protected and who may get sick and wind up in the hospital. That information is not yet known, Daniel. It will be known. And, you know, I think in the next few months we'll know it. But because of that, masks and social distancing are still in play. So if you get the vaccine, I think that you can feel safe for yourself about not getting COVID. 
Right. But the people that you're eating, not eating dinner, but the people that you're in a room with, if you all are not right. wearing a mask, right. then the people around you could get sick from you. Mm-hmm. And none of us want that. No. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I know we've had this conversation around the church and with our COVID response team and many other things that part of our huge decision-making framework in this time is not just what's best for me, right? But how are we modeling that love of neighbor? Um, you know, because frankly, you know, now that, I mean, there was a season where very personally with my wife who was pregnant, we didn't know what the impact would be, right? Right. Now, very personally, I'm a 36-year-old, reasonably healthy guy. If we look purely at selfish personal statistics, yeah, yes. my worry for COVID is pretty small. Right. Right. But by the nature of my call and my ministry and my work, I am interconnected with so many folks whose risk profile is radically different than mine. And we all are, if we think about it just for a right. little bit, uh, between our family, between our friends, between our coworkers, between you know, the, the people who we wave at when we're on a walk. Um, although we wave at a much farther distance than we might've used to, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very important reminder, um, again, of that interconnectivity and the call of Christ to, to love our neighbor, uh, in the midst of this, from what you said, it sounds like if we learn that information over the next couple of months, we'll be learning that as, you know, we may get to that point by the time we may have that information, by the time we get to the point where the vast majority of the population has been vaccinated, yeah. right? Those two may end up going hand in hand, um, which will help us kind of know what the future looks like when that point comes um, a little more fully. So one of the um, other questions we received in the midst of this is a question about, we're now seeing new strains. We're seeing mutations mm-hmm. of the virus. So will the vaccine that we receive now, or, you know, you've received it, you've finished receiving both doses. Others of us are now waiting for that. Um, will that vaccine protect us from new strains? It protects us from the strains that we, that we have and that we know about now, even these more transmissible, transmissible strains. I think the one in Britain is called B117. I, don't, I can't keep up with all of that, but there's, <laughs> there are a few strains that seem to be more transmissible, but there is not anything out there that has had caused a big enough mutation in the spike protein that the vaccine won't work. You can kind of think of a spike protein as a soccer ball. You know, the soccer ball has all the black, is it hexagons mm-hmm. all over mm-hmm. the ball? Mm-hmm. That's a spike protein. That whole ball is a spike protein. And let's say that the colors on the soccer ball, there was a red one and a green one and a yellow one and a purple one and a blue one, that a soccer ball was multicolor, not just black and white. You make antibodies to every single one of those different colors on a spike protein. So if one of those colors mutates on the spike protein, your other antibodies are going to still kill and still eliminate the spike protein, even if one little part of it's changed. It's still a soccer ball. Yeah, Yeah, it's still a soccer soccer ball, ball, even if it's a multicolor. Your antibodies are still going to attack all the other areas around that soccer ball. Each one of those little colored areas is called an epitope. And the spike protein has 20 epitopes or something like that. So there would have to be a pretty significant change in the spike protein for our current vaccine not to work. But if we can get vaccine levels high and disease levels in the community low enough, 
those risks of runaway mutations drop exponentially mm. to give us protection again in the future. Okay. Which I think that brings us up to a perfect, I think it's one of the last questions I know of, um, but about the efficacy rate. Um, so the new um, vaccines have a, I believe, 94, I think Moderna's 94.5, right? Yeah. And then Pfizer's 95. Mm-hmm. Um, the efficacy rate. Can you describe to us, one, what an efficacy rate is and mm-hmm. what that actually foundationally means <laughs> for us day in and day out? The efficacy rate just means how well the vaccine works. So in the Pfizer trial, there were about 17,000 people that got two doses of vaccine and 17,000 people that got two doses of placebo. And then you see, you come up to your end point and you say, okay, there have been, actually in this case, there were 170 infections. And so the FDA says, okay, out of all these people that got infected, we need to unblind 170 people. And when they unblinded all 170 of those people with COVID disease, 162 of them were in the placebo group and eight had gotten vaccine. Okay. And I believe one of the eight had serious disease and wound up in the hospital and maybe 14 of the 160 placebo recipients wound up in the hospital. So what that means is it was 95% effective in preventing all disease And I think it was considered 98% effective for serious disease. And serious disease is is rigidly defined as hospitalization, ventilator requirement, oxygen requirement, or death. And there was only one in the vaccine group. Okay. So that's what efficacy means. And the Moderna numbers are almost exactly the same. I don't have those with me, but it's almost exactly the same. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and the one final one, and I think this is a pretty simple one to end on. Um, you mentioned both Moderna mm-hmm. and Pfizer there in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think most everybody in uh, who's working in a hospital setting is, has gotten Pfizer and mm-hmm. because of its uh, freezing temperatures and things. Mm-hmm. And Moderna is more readily available uh, in the community. I know that's what uh, the city of Cleburne is through, the, through okay. their EMTs um, immunizing both first responders and class 1B folks right now, right, or 65 and older or uh, folks with uh, pre-existing medical mm-hmm. conditions. Um, one question we got in, and I think the answer is a clear yes, but I just want to ask you, because, again, me and Google are not a medical authority. Um, <laughs> if your first vaccine was Moderna, your second ma- vaccine needs to be Moderna, correct? That is correct. And the, the distribution of those vaccines has taken that into account. So, for example, if your hospital got 5,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine on December 15th, then three weeks later, you get 5,000 more doses for those same people. So okay. dose one and dose two are allocated and, and shipped too. So it's not that you have to get in line again to get number two. The company has your name, not literally, but the company has a vaccine for you for dose number two that'll go to the same location. Okay. So if you start with one, you want to finish with one. And in my mind, there is no difference in the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. Okay. And, and y'all can edit this out if you want to, just for funny. The deep freeze requirements, we got the list of the deep freeze requirements for the Pfizer vaccine. Unbelievable. So it comes in this white styrofoam crate, and 5,000 doses is about this big. 
you would think that it was a, a train, but it's not. Because a vial has 10 doses and you get 500 vials and they're about this big. So you can take them out of the styrofoam thing and put it into your deep freeze. You're allowed to open the deep freeze three minutes twice a day. Once you get the vials out of the deep freeze and move them into an ice chest with, with dry ice, you can take the lid off of the ice chest two minutes every three hours, and then you have to shut it back down again. Once the vial comes out, you have every minute of every, every single, that's, that is how careful they are trying to be wow. with the, that's how fragile this mRNA molecules are. Anyway, more than you wanted to know, but I just, after I read I'm that, I was like, I'm glad I'm yeah. in charge of this. Because yeah, when you said 5, <clears throat> I don't want to go down there. Yeah, I, I no. just, I didn't want to go look in the deep freeze and go, oh, cool, great. <laughs> all the, all 5,000 vaccines have melted right. and it's all your fault, you know, so anyway. Don't want that, don't want that weight on your shoulders. The, uh, That's right. No, no, the, uh. Well, Susie, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. If if you had one parting shot, one thing that you could just scream from the mountaintop to share with everybody today, uh, it could be about anything, I guess, but really specifically regarding this vaccine, what would you want us to hear if we heard nothing else? I, you know, I think if you hear nothing else, know that what I personally believe, trust me or don't, I believe this is a an incredibly well-developed, incredibly safe, incredibly effective vaccine. I got it. I made sure that my parents, they went and got theirs. And for some people, you can't sleep if you get a vaccine because you're so worried that you've done something wrong. For me, it's just the opposite. I couldn't sleep until I got my vaccine. And that's what I would say. Amen. Thank you, Susie, again for joining us today. We are incredibly thankful that you have graced us with your wisdom and your knowledge <laughs> and, and your presence here on, on the podcast. We, uh, you are a gift to our church, our community, and you know, I'm, you know, I don't know the Cook system all that well uh, and hope that my kids don't ever actually come see you. No offense. Uh, no, you don't want them to. But, but you are a gift to uh, our broader North uh, Texas area as well. Thank you. Thank you. you. Now that we have gathered together on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast, I want to give you an invitation to grow today. Your invitation to grow is simple. Talk to trusted people. Listen to people like Susie and your doctor uh, as you make plans for your family in the days, weeks, and months to come. And remember that as you do, what you decide, what you do, impacts not only yourself, but your neighbor, their family, and our whole community. May we embody the love of Jesus Christ and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Thanks for joining us on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. It's been Pastor Daniel and Pastor Melissa and Dr. Whitworth with you today. And if you have found any comfort in the work that we have talked about, in the discussions that we've had, would you please do us a huge favor? 
share this episode of the podcast. Send it to someone that you think this could help them understand what mRNA data is or the fact that 5,000 doses is in such a tiny little styrofoam (laughs) box or whatever it may be. Send it to someone, share it on your social media platform, tag us in it. We'd love to know and celebrate with you and continue the discussion offline with you about this episode of the podcast. And now as we get ready to get out of here, would you receive this benediction, this blessing that's meant to be lived out as you go from this place this week? May you go knowing that Christ was called to love people well and calls us to do the same. May we go to love people well. Amen. Amen.